My father-in-law is a farmer, and he owns about 2,000 acres or so in White County, Illinois. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you because all you think of maybe is farmland with corn and beans and wheat and all of that. But White County, Illinois meant an awful lot to some guys that I used to teach and coach with years and years ago. In fact, they knew that the deer were huge in White County, Illinois, and they accused me of holding out on them, not telling them that my father-in-law owned acreage and lots of timberland in White County, Illinois. And so several years ago, they, they said, it's time for us to go hunting on your father-in-law's farm. I'd never been hunting in my life. I'd never shot a gun. I was a city boy. You all understand that by now. I grew up in southwest Louisville in the suburbs, and, and our yard was just sort of a little square. You know, we didn't have land and trees that you build things to climb up in and shoot deer out of. We didn't have that stuff, and so this was all brand new to me. And so I started to go hunting, and I didn't have anything. I had to borrow clothes. You know, I had a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt. And they're like, no, you can't, can't do that. You got and so I borrowed all kinds of things to keep you warm and all of that stuff. And, and I was always the guy who really didn't have any clue what I was doing, and they tolerated me anyway. And, and they always tried to put me, at least what they told me, in the best spot, which meant that I was so far out of the way that I couldn't mess with them at all. I couldn't scare any of the deer away. They was all, you know, that was the way it was. They were the best spot. Now I know. <laughs> But, you know, I, I remember going hunting and, and first of all, thinking, well, you know, what am I doing? Laughing at myself. You know, I'm, I'm a city boy from southwest Louisville. I got no business being up in this tree stand. And I don't even know if the gun's actually going to fire, you know, the right direction when I shoot it. I have no idea. And, and so I, I go there and, and what I found about deer hunting was, number one, I'm not any good at it. I, I think I, I shot at one or two deer I think I, I may have gotten somewhere in the neighborhood, but I, I don't gut deer. I don't do that. I just, that to me, I, I just can't bring myself to do that. And so you're already, you know, anyway, I'm not a deer hunter, but I tell you, I enjoyed deer hunting and I enjoyed it most getting there before the sun comes up, climbing into your tree stand, sitting there freezing cold, cold. I mean, like cold and so but there's nothing to do there's no responsibility it's quiet you have nobody who's bugging you there's relatively nothing that can really mess with you out there in the woods and you sit there and then later on of course as you sort of fall out and you climb down the deer stand and you go maybe take a break or whatever you get back in later on and you get to see the sunset so you see the sunrise and the sunset and maybe for you, if you're a deer hunter, and I know that gun season you know, has affected church attendance recently and all of that. I hope it was worth it. Hope you got something. But anyway, I, in all seriousness, I know for many of you, the joy of just being out by yourself with nothing to do, and it's quiet, even if you don't get a deer, which I know is the goal, but even if you don't get one, you say, you know, that was all right. There's... There's not much in me, as I said, that's a true deer hunter, but I'll tell you, that tree stand beckons when I get a little overwhelmed with what's wrong in the world. When I, when I get a little bit frustrated about I don't know where to start to solve any of the problems that I see around me, when I get to the point where I just think, God, what am I really responsible for? What is it that you want me to do about all this? I get a little overwhelmed, and I just want to go live in a deer stand. I mean, I just sit there. I just want to just build it around me. 
give me a heater, let me live there where nothing can bother me. Maybe you're that way. Because the truth is that when you're overwhelmed with all the world throws at you, when you don't know where to start, and when you just wonder, God, what am I really responsible for? A tree stand looks pretty good. There are many of us today who probably would say, if I could just escape it all and not have to deal with all these problems anymore and not be affected by this sinful world, I would. I would get away. I would not ever return. I'd just stay in the tree stand all day long. But you know, that's not really possible for us because tomorrow is going to happen. And many of you have a job that you have to go to. Or you'll go to Walmart. And the real world will meet you at Walmart, won't it? Or maybe maybe your real world hits you in a variety of different ways at home or when you're online or whatever. And so we find ourselves this morning kind of caught in between several things. We're caught in between wanting to escape... But knowing that that's not really possible, you can't stay away forever. We're we're caught kind of in between being tired of the problems and the sin of the world, but also knowing that Jesus said we're the ones he sent out to deal with all that. We're, We're caught in between not wanting to be involved at all and knowing that we have to be involved. And maybe you find yourself right there. And this whole series that we've been in, called Go, has irritated you and you don't know what to do, and you don't really want to be involved, but you sort of see from the Scripture that we're supposed to be involved, and you say, what am I supposed to do? This series is about how we can live our lives on mission for the Lord, right where you are every single day. How can we increase our understanding of it, to know more what it looks like, to increase our motivation, to want to do it more? How can we increase our application to be able to put into practice some some easy things, some simple things? for living life on mission. And so we've looked at a variety of Scripture so far, and we've, we've chosen a group or a person that we're trying to pray for and maybe see how we can show the love of Jesus toward over, over this 10-week series. We've looked at what happens when you, when you have people that just drive you crazy and how to love them anyway, when you feel like you're beating your head against the wall, when you don't want to be a part of things. And, and today, really, all I, I want to show you is how you can get involved right where you're already involved. Uh, This is not going to be a call to to leave where you are, to quit your job, to sell everything you own and move to a foreign country. Now let me say this, if God calls you to do that, then you'd better do it. Because you'll be miserable if you don't. If God's call in your life is to do that. I had a friend tell me one time when I was trying to figure out, God, do you want me in ministry? Do you not want me in ministry? What do you want me to do? He said, look, he said, don't call yourself into ministry. Don't do it because you think it's cool. Don't do it because your friends are doing that. He said, but if God calls you into ministry and you don't go, you're going to be miserable. He said, if you call yourself into ministry and you go and God doesn't want you there, you'll be miserable. He said, but, but you've got to make sure to follow God's call. So, so let me just encourage you, whatever God calls you to do, do it. But today is not about trying to get somebody manipulated into going somewhere else. Today is simply about how can you get involved right where you're already involved. At your job, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your fraternity, on your farm, in your family, in your routine of everyday life. I've talked to several people during this series who have indicated to me that they want to do something. They're they're motivated. They understand that they are to be on mission for the Lord, but they're not sure what to do. In fact, several folks think it it must have to be something really big, right? I mean, God wants me to do something huge or else it doesn't really count. I've got to do something that, that gets all kinds of notoriety and all of that stuff. 
But you know, I don't have money and I don't have the right position and I don't have influence and all of that. Let me tell you the good news. You don't need any of that stuff. In order to get involved in God's work, all you need is a commitment to get involved with what God is doing in the world. You don't need a new position. You don't need more money. You don't need necessarily greater influence. You just need today to say, Lord, I'll be committed to getting involved. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. You'll see it there in the handout if you want to look at it there. The words will be on the screen. I encourage you to get a copy of God's Word if you don't have one. To read it daily, to interact with what God has put in there for you to understand. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible and you'd say, which version should I get? Can you help me with that? I'd be happy to talk with you some other time after the service or throughout the week. If you can't afford a copy of God's Word, then please let us know and we'll make sure you get one. Matthew chapter 5 begins what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Jesus gives an overview and quite a few details about what it means to live life in the kingdom of God, in, under the rule of God, under His realm. And in the first few verses, Jesus lays out the characteristics for the people that are a part of His kingdom. And if you want to know the character of those folks, then we look at chapter 5, verses 3 through 10, and we see that. We're to approach God on His terms, not ours. He is the one in charge. He is the King. And so as His subjects, we approach Him on His terms. And then Jesus begins to unfold the mission of God that He has for His people. And we'll see in verses 13 to 16 the mission that God has sent us on. So let's look at it real quick. It says in Jesus' words here, beginning in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You've heard about folks being the salt of the earth. This is where it comes from. Maybe you've heard that Christians are the light of the world. This is where Jesus said it. Jesus implies something by using that terminology about being salt and about being light. He implies something about the world as it exists. And that is it's dark and it's decaying. It's it's not a godly place. It is a place full of sin. And it's been that way since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And it's continued to spiral and manifest itself in different ways. And that's where we find ourselves where Jesus and his followers found themselves in a dark and decaying world. So Jesus wouldn't talk about the need for salt and light if the world weren't in need of those things. Now, based upon what Jesus said in the few previous verses, just back in verse 10 through verse 12, he talks about that the the followers of Jesus, the people in God's kingdom, are going to face some very harsh treatment. In fact, he says you'll be persecuted and insulted. And it won't always be fun to follow God. You would think that after telling his followers that, that Jesus might say, look, I know it's going to be tough, so just kind of huddle up and hang out and wait for the full effect of God's kingdom and just don't go anywhere. Stay safe. Instead, he says, go get involved. Now, I don't know if you find that a little bit tough, The words of Jesus here, you're going to face harsh treatment. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be insulted. People aren't going to get you. They're not going to understand why you would adhere to this old book, they say. 
Why not just huddle up and say, Lord, please protect us. God, keep us safe. Jesus says the opposite. You're the salt. You're the light. Go get involved. I want to show you this morning from these three, four verses, how it is that you can take some very simple steps to get involved. You say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Glad you came this morning. I'm going to try to show you a little bit. First of all, let me encourage you, be a nobody. Be a nobody. Jesus says twice here, you are. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now, if you understand who he's talking about, this is laughable. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish peasants. He's not talking to the Roman government, people that were notable, folks who had position and power and influence. He's talking to a bunch of people that would have considered themselves anything but the salt of the earth and the light of the world. There was nothing about them that was anything special whatsoever. They're just a bunch of nobodies. And we look at the disciples and we see them as our champions of our faith, and certainly they are. When Jesus is talking to his followers, they're nobodies. There's nobody that would have recognized any of these people as something special. They're fishermen and tax collectors. Who are these guys? Later on, Jesus would preach to large crowds, and we think, oh, they must have been so influential. Let me tell you, in that society, he was preaching to a bunch of nobodies. He was preaching to shepherds and to to women during the time who were considered less than nobody. Jesus elevated them, made them somebody. He preached to a bunch of nobodies. In fact, his disciples in Acts chapter 4 amazed people. Why? Because they were uneducated, it says, and untrained. They didn't seem to be anybody special. And yet it was obvious they had been with Jesus, Acts chapter 4 verse 13 tells us. Let me encourage you to be a nobody, because that's exactly who Jesus wants you to be. Verse 3 of chapter 5, if you've got a Bible open, you can look there quickly. Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount, by talking about who's blessed. Here are the characteristics of people in God's kingdom. And the first characteristic he mentions is to be poor in spirit. To recognize, I'm a nobody. I have nothing to offer God. I deserve nothing from Him except judgment and wrath and punishment for all eternity. And I have nothing. I'm coming to you empty-handed, Lord. That's how he starts. You think he's he's serious about this. I, I believe he is. Be a nobody for the Lord. The truth is, Jesus would use ordinary people to change the world forever. Uneducated, untrained, a bunch of nobodies. That's who Jesus picked. That's who he used. So let me encourage you. You don't need a new position. Well, boy, when I get this new job, when I, when I get to this, no, no, no. You're waiting for that, you're going to wait forever. You don't need a new position. You don't need more money. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need a nicer car. You don't need a new stage of life. You don't need a college or seminary degree. You don't need a special role in the church to get involved in God's mission for the world. If you're waiting on that stuff, you're going to wait forever. You don't need any of that. Because the truth is, Jesus is looking for nobodies like you and like me who will simply come to Him empty-handed and saying, Lord, I've got nothing to offer you. Lord, I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. I can't do this, but recognizing, Lord, you can. And so make me what you want me to be and use me how you want to use me. I hope that encourages you this morning. We've got some folks I know because I've talked with you. And you're intimidated by what this mission of God is all about. You don't know where to start. You think it's got to be something huge and something completely different from what you're already doing. Let me just tell you, God has picked a bunch of nobodies like you and like me to simply go out into this world. So just be ordinary. 
Just be who you are. Just be where you are. And when you are those things, you're in a perfect position for God to use you to change the world He's put you in. It may seem very ordinary in your eyes, but it's spectacular in His eyes. So just go out this week. Be as ordinary as you can. Just be who you are. Just march to the beat of a different drum. It's not about the great things that you and I can do for the Lord. It's about the great thing that He has done for us in Jesus Christ. And when we understand that, then we're okay being a nobody. Be a nobody. But don't stop with that. Because it's not just about being a nobody and, oh, well, I'm nothing and so on. I'm going to be a nobody who lives out somebody with a capital S. I'm going to be a nobody who lives out somebody. And that somebody, of course, is the character and the actions of Jesus Christ. He says, you are salt. Now, back during that time and since then, of course, salt has been used to give flavor to food. It's been used as a preservative. I even read this week that back during the time of Jesus, it was used as a cleansing and purifying sort of a filtering agent. It was also used to brighten their lamps and to enhance uh, their baking ovens. It made everything better. That's the idea of salt. It, it makes everything better. To be called the salt of the earth is to be referred to as somebody who just has a fundamental goodness. Just something good about you. It's recognized universally as a human necessity. We've got to have it. It is beneficial to us. But it's only beneficial, Jesus says, as it remains distinctive and pure. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But look at them, verse 13. But if the, the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Now, salt is a stable compound. Technically, it can't be anything other than salt. But Jesus, during this time, was talking to people who would understand that when it was mixed with enough junk, salt could be rendered useless. It could be rendered completely impure, and you just have to throw it out because it can't be separated from all the impurities. And so if you want to get involved, be a nobody who lives out somebody, the first thing is to be distinctive in your character. To be who God wants you to be. Live out the character of Jesus. When you look at verses 3 through 10... You see some of those characteristics. To come to the Lord, as I said in verse 3, empty-handed, to be humble before Him. Verse 4, to be mournful, broken, repentant over our sin. Verse 5, to be gentle and humble. Verse 6, to constantly hunger for more of the Lord, to pursue Him. Verse 7, to be merciful and compassionate in a very, in a very unforgiving world. Verse 8, to be pure in heart or sincere in your commitments to the Lord and to others. Verse 9, to be a peacemaker between human to human and help people to see the peace that God has made between himself and mankind. Verse 10, to be willing to suffer and endure when hard times come. That's the character. So first we're called to be distinctive in our character because apart from that, we can't impact the world. To be humble, to be repentant, to be righteous, to be merciful, to be gentle to be peacemaking, to be pure, to be enduring. Now tell me, tell me that somebody in your home or where you work or go to school or on your team or in your neighborhood, tell me somebody doesn't need all those things. Tell me somebody doesn't need to see somebody who's humble and repentant and righteous and merciful and pure, peacemaking and enduring. Jesus says, go be all those things. Be, live out the character of Jesus. That's where you can start. You say, I don't know what to do. Don't start with what to do. Start with what to be. 
And be who God has made you to be in Jesus Christ. He says, live out the character here. You're the salt of the earth. Have the right character. Don't let those impurities of the world impact you and make you useless. And then he talks about you're the light of the world. Not only to live out somebody in character, but also in action. He says, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. This is about being proactive in our good works toward other people. Let me encourage you this week, look around for something good you can do in the life of somebody else. You may want to write these down. Let me just give these to you very quickly. They're not on the, the handout. But I shared this with our Wednesday night crowd a few weeks ago about some things you can look for. You can say, I don't know really when is appropriate to get involved in somebody's life. I mean, I don't want to say anything that's going to push them the other way. And I want to be real careful with this. I get that. And so maybe there are some things that you could look for. And this is not an exhaustive list, but maybe it's easy to remember. They all start with D. Look for some ways that you can get involved when death happens. When, when a person loses somebody close to them, it's often the case that they are hurting and they want somebody to minister and to help them. So when death occurs in a family, look for a way to do good. To let your light shine in that situation. Secondly, when disaster happens, something just goes horribly wrong. And maybe that's in a community. We've seen that. In fact, our own convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, has, has a disaster relief group that goes and helps people in those times. Maybe you'd look for when death occurs or when disaster occurs. Or thirdly, when depression happens. People looking for hope. Be there. Love them. Shine the light of Jesus just to be a shoulder to cry on. He said, I don't know what to say. Fine, don't say anything. Just be there. And then fourthly, when divorce happens, tears the world apart. Many of you have been through that, you know. And they, and they just simply need somebody to say, I'll go through this with you. I don't have the answers and maybe we can't put it all back together again, but I, I'll be there. Maybe you just look for an opportunity this week. Who's dealing with the death of somebody or disaster or who's going through depression or who's been through divorce? And there are lots of other situations. That's just a starting point. To let your light shine just simply means you're going to listen. You're going to care and understand and love somebody and serve them. And It's just going to be like breathing to you. It's just natural. It's just an extension of who you are. The idea here is Jesus is saying just... Let people see how your Christian faith makes a difference in your life, not just on your Sunday morning activities while we go to church. That's great. Start there, but let that extend. To see who you really are. See how it affects what you think and how you live and how you react to situations and the decisions that you make and how you feel about what happens in your life, how you deal with problems and why you keep commitments or whatever. How can you show how your Christian faith makes a difference in how you live? How can that light shine? Let me encourage you, be a nobody who lives out somebody, Jesus, the character and actions of our Savior, finally in front of everybody. This may be the most difficult part. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. Then he goes on to give an example. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. During this time, to build a city on a hill was a very assertive move, a move of confidence, a, a display that says we want to be involved in the world. We're not trying to hide in any way. We want involvement. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Him for salvation, you are, it's not a choice, you are the light of the world. You can no longer be hidden. There is no such thing as hidden discipleship. 
as a hidden commitment to Jesus Christ. As simply a silent, completely vanilla witness to Him. That, that doesn't exist. Because you are light. You will shine if you truly know Jesus. It's impossible to hide a city on a hill. And equally so, is impossible to hide someone who loves Jesus. He goes further. He says, no one lights a lamp, verse 15, and puts it under a basket. This doesn't make any sense. You don't light a lamp just to put it out. Instead, you put it on a lampstand. Now understand in that time, they would have had a one-room house and one lamp and a stand. And the higher they put it, it would amplify the light and spread it out. That's what he's saying. It gives light to all who are in the house. The idea here is just on non-concealment. You don't leave the salt in the salt shaker and don't put the lamp under a bowl. Don't hide it. This isn't about being famous or having hundreds of Twitter followers and Facebook likes and blog readers and all that stuff. I know sometimes we think, well, that's how I've got to do it. i got to... No. It's just in our everyday routines that we shine the light of Jesus. Just as we go through our ordinary lives, we say, I'm just going to live as a Christian. I'm going to do the things that I believe that Jesus would do. I'm going to live the way that I know Jesus wants me to live. And maybe in our culture today, and it's mixed up values and and all the things that we deal with, maybe the starting point is just to do some acts of grace and mercy and love, and hopefully people will see that our faith in Jesus truly does make a difference, not just in what we're against, but in what we do as a result of loving Jesus. Hopefully they'll see in us a difference that can't truly be found somewhere else. We show them a better way to live than what they can find in this world. You know, the everyday stuff really does add up. It makes a difference in the lives of people. It may not make a national difference what you do. What I do is not going to make national news and change the entire world forever. But you know what? Maybe if I start in my home. Maybe if I start with the folks who are here. Maybe if I start with the kids that I coach. Maybe. Just maybe. Living out Jesus. His character. And his action. Maybe being okay with being a nobody. Just living out Jesus in front of whoever I'm around. Maybe. That's what God's called me to do. Maybe that's what he's called you to do as well. This week, let me encourage you with something. A couple of questions, and I kind of want to work through how that might look in our lives. So hang with me. It would be really great if I could this morning give us all permission to go and remove ourselves completely from the world. To live as hermits, to move to a monastery if you want and just, okay, nobody bother me. Maybe just to sit in a tree stand all day long. Or to say, hey, just come to church and just be here and we'll all sing Kumbaya till Jesus comes back. It would be great if I could give you permission to do that, but you know that the Scripture doesn't allow that. Jesus himself left heaven to come to earth. Understand that. The church and what we do here and all of our people, and this may be our haven, you know, even our, our, our hospital, our training center, but we, we don't live here. We've got to be involved. Being nobodies, living out somebody in front of everybody, and you say, how do I start? Let me, let me give you a couple of questions to ask this week. In every situation that you find yourself, what should I be and what should I do? What should I be and what should I do?
as a Christian, as someone who claims to have the life of Jesus in me, what should I be in this situation? What should I do? At work. What should I be? Let me encourage you this week. If you're not already being the very best employee that you can possibly be, in your punctuality and your work ethic and the things you say and don't say about your boss and so on, let me encourage you this week, be the best employee they've got. You may hate it there. And listen, the majority of people claim to hate their jobs. You might hate it. But what should I be as a Christian? Be the best employee they've got. You may cause random heart attacks. In fact, that may be the way to get rid of your boss once and for all. Don't tell them I said that. But wouldn't it shock people if the person, maybe this is you, and you just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go to work. And If maybe this way, you're just the best employee they can have. Young people, let me tell you. You want to absolutely shock your parents? You want to shock those people in your life? You want to overwhelm them and wonder, truly, they already think you've lost your mind? It's not the other way around, Okay. They think you've lost your mind. You think your parents have, yeah, right. They think you have lost your mind. You want them really to think you're crazy? You go live out Jesus this week in your home. What should I be? How can I be a person of humility and forgiveness and self-control? How can I be those things this week? Maybe it's in business and you're the leader. And maybe you'd live out the ethics of Jesus Christ. You'd live out treating your employees maybe a little different way. Boy, I know that's tough sometimes. Or maybe online, you decide this week that online is not exactly the best place to vent all your problems. Just saying. Or maybe this week you decide that online isn't exactly the best place to have some open, huge debate about things. And you'd say, you know, this probably isn't really a diary. Maybe I shouldn't share all of this. And you would simply share the light of Jesus online. Or maybe in your marriage, you'd realize that the problem isn't what's happening all around us. It's not the lead problem. Maybe the problem is that we've not simply been gracious and loving and forgiving to restore and to reclaim God's hold on our marriages. Or this week in traffic. Let's get real for a second. Because I know that somebody's going to pull out in front of you. And two things are likely to happen. You're going to lay on the horn really, really hard for a long time. And you're going to drive about like this close to them just to let them know. You pulled out in front of me. You know, probably a couple of things for them. Either they have no clue or they don't care. And you laying on your horn and driving so close to them and yelling and screaming and gesturing and so on probably is not, you know, probably not going to change the fact they just pulled out in front of you, is it? Now, at the restaurant today, and I warned you about this last week, I didn't get anybody who told me they had horrible service, but there's somebody who's going to go to a restaurant today, and it's not going to go your way. That waiter, that waitress, they're just not going to do it right. They're going to mess up your steak. You're going to order it medium well, they're going to bring it medium, and you're going to have to send it back to cook it longer. How are you going to handle the tip? 
How are you going to handle your response? Now listen, this is the real stuff alive. Y'all think I'm joking. Isn't it true? It's where we live out Jesus. It's not here. Well, it's easy to sing songs and listen to a sermon and say, hey man, let's go home. It's tough when you're living it out in the world. Let me just encourage you, be ordinary who lives out somebody. Be that nobody who lives out somebody in front of everybody. In the everyday stuff of life, take it seriously. Say, Lord, in this situation, what do you want me to be? Do I need to be gracious? Do I need to be humble? Do I need to be forgiving? God, what should I do? How can I take the proactive stance of loving somebody in your name? I don't know if you find that encouraging, but I sure do when I read the Scripture and know that Jesus doesn't expect me to be some great figure in society. Just be a nobody who lives Him out in front of everybody. Don't wait this week. Get involved. Very simply, just as a nobody who just lives out the character and actions of Jesus in front of anybody and everybody you're around. Jesus did the same for us. I told you that He left heaven... He didn't stay where it's just nice and quiet in the tree stand. Jesus was worshipped for all eternity past in heaven. And guess what? In order to save people like you and me, he left that comfort. He got down out of the tree stand and he went and got involved. He became a nobody here on earth who lived out God's mission for him in front of everybody so that we might know him. And that's all his mission is for us. The same kind of thing. Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, understand he left heaven to die on a cross for you. That apart from him, you stand and I stand deserving nothing but God's judgment and his wrath. We stand over here on our own. Good luck trying to tell God how good you are one day when you stand before him. Good luck. But Jesus in his grace and his mercy allows us through his death on the cross to stand under him. He's the buffer. And out of God's love, he sent Jesus so that Jesus would pay with the full wrath of God. And on the cross, he took it all. And so now as a believer in Jesus, I don't stand with God's wrath on me. I stand with his overwhelming love and grace all because of Jesus. I don't have to count on how good I am. I just count on how good Jesus was and how sufficient his death is for my sins. And maybe this morning, what you need to do is simply to say, God, I don't want to stand under your wrath anymore. What I need to be is forgiven. What I need to do is believe. And I throw myself at your mercy. I promise it'll be there. God will never fail you. When you come to him, he'll forgive you every time. He'll cover you with Jesus Christ and you won't have to worry about how good you are anymore because you'll be in the life of Jesus. What should I be? What should I do? I hope that you'll wrestle with that this morning. You'll make a decision to get involved and not just stay in a tree stand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning I pray for the person who's here and doesn't know you. We may be doing a lot of good things and counting on all that, but God, I pray this morning you would, you would absolutely overwhelm them with the truth that we can't be good enough, and we don't have to be. God, we thank you that we don't have to be good enough. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life, 
life that we couldn't live, for your death, the one that we deserve, for your resurrection to give us new life here and eternal life in heaven. Lord, help us to throw ourselves at your mercy, receiving your grace through faith, believing in you alone. Lord, help us to know what we're to be and what we're to do. Encourage us, Lord, just to be nobodies who live out somebody in front of everybody. God, help us with that. Thank you that it's as simple as that. Give us grace to do it this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.